Alrighty, turn to Psalm 82. Psalm 82. And uh, this is, I believe, the second to last Psalm of Asaph. I could be wrong about that. And uh, we'll be talking about worship and sovereignty. Worship and sovereignty. So look at Psalm 82. I want us to read the whole psalm just to kind of see where we're going in the message tonight. And then uh, we'll talk about what exactly Asaph was trying to communicate here. It's a very unique psalm. You're about to find that out. Um, When Pastor Tyler said, hey, preach this one, I thought, man, could I get a different one, please? Um, Because this one's a little bit unique. But I'm really thankful. I'm excited for you to hear what really God was trying to get across to his people. uh, Because I I just so believe it's relevant uh, for our lives. And so let's look at Psalm 82. And uh, we'll read the whole psalm starting at verse number one. Here's what Asaph said. He said, God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. And then, I believe, God is going to be speaking, poetically, Asaph is writing this, that God is speaking to the gods. He says this, How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted. And needy, deliver the poor and needy, rid them out of the hand of the wicked. Do you sense that God cares about the poor and the needy? And then he says this about the gods, and we'll talk about this in a minute. Verse number five, he says this, they know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. And here's how Asaph ends the song with a prayer to God. He says this, Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Tonight we're going to study the idea of worship and God's sovereignty. If I could give you a simple definition, because the word sovereignty is just a fancy theological term that means this. God has all power, and he's in charge of all the universe. That's the Mike Collins dictionary definition of sovereignty. God has all power. He's, he's in control of what we see around us, and it's easy for us to believe that God is in control when things are going our way, isn't it? But it's something entirely different to believe that God is in control when life seems very much out of control. Are you with me, church? You know, it can seem trite when I say something like that, when your life feels really chaotic, and you say, you know, it'd be really nice if the fact that God was in control like somehow manifested itself in my life right now. I think of different situations that might cause us to think that. We, we would think God is in control when finances are good and when we refinance our mortgage and we get a good rate and when our retirement portfolio is on the rise. We think God is in control when we get a great position at work. God gives us a new job situation that's just a little bit better. But would you agree, church, that's a little harder to believe God is in control when your portfolio is on the downhill? Like March 2020, somebody say amen. It's a little harder to believe God is in control when you're unemployed, isn't it? 
It's a little harder to believe that God is in control when someone you love is very much in a desperate financial situation. Oh yes, we, we understand God is in control when it seems like God's will, is just, it's like God is just opening door after door and we just follow God into his perfect plan and everything seems to line up. But life doesn't always work like that, does it? It seems like God isn't in control because he doesn't bring someone along. It seems like God isn't in control because marriage didn't work out the way you envision it. It doesn't seem like God is in control because someone you love about and you care about is on the run from God or has an addiction that is literally eating them alive and you can't do anything to stop it. We think God is in control when our health is a-okay. You know, when we show up to the dentist, I don't know if this is your prayer, but the whole time I'm in the dentist chair, no cavities, no cavities. And when they say no cavities, I'm like, yes, God's in control. But when the diagnosis doesn't look favorable, when someone you love passes away, when you have to get treatment again, it's a little hard to believe God's in control, isn't it? Here's the problem is, when we feel like our life has chaos, we tend to evaluate God's control by our level of chaos, don't we? We wonder if God is in control when sexual abuse seems to be at an all-time high. We wonder if God is in control when political situations don't go our way or when our country is in a direction that concerns us. We wonder where God is when there's riots. We wonder where God is when there's insurrections. We wonder where God is when evil dictators claim power over people and, and, and hurt people that do nothing to them. There's injustice rampant in other areas of the world. We wonder sometimes, don't we? God, why doesn't your control show up in this situation? And to be honest, that's the backdrop of Psalm 82. Because just like we do, God's people have a way of when they experience chaos in their lives to doubt God's control of their lives. As you've probably caught, there's a, a common theme and a common context of all the Psalms of Asaph. They were not written at Israel's like most happy-go-lucky time. You would think the worshipful Psalms would be written at a time when everything was going well, but actually everything was going wrong. They lost their temple, their central place of worship, because their enemies had destroyed it. Their capital city and the crown jewel was destroyed and in ruins. Many of the people that they knew and loved were carried away into foreign captivity. And people that they grew up with, uh, um, people that they knew, people that they loved, were no longer in their nation they were slaves doing who knows what in a foreign nation. They had no idea if these people were alive. There were no ransom videos. They just got carried away. And who knows if they were turned into slaves for sexual purposes. Who knows if they had a great and glorious future like Daniel had. Or who knew, knows if they got killed five miles down the road. They had no idea. 
And I want you to think about this, church. Everything that, that the nation of Israel identified with as the people of God was taken away from them. I mean, the, the three great signs of their religious identity as people of God was totally stripped away. Their land, their Davidic king, their temple, the visible evidences that they would look at as God's people and say, God is among us. God promised us a land and we have a land. God gave us a temple, a, temp, a, a, a tangible manifestation of his presence, and we see this temple. All of those things were gone. Their heart's cry was this, church. God, why would you do this to us? And their second question was, God, how long are you going to let this go on? I want you to put, put yourself in their shoes. Uh, again, we all understand where our chaos causes us to doubt God's control. But, but honestly, it would be like North Korea launching a full nuclear assault on the U.S., demolishing several U.S. cities, and invading our shores with their troops. And their violence didn't just stop in the big cities. Somehow, for some reason, they thought liberal Kansas was a good target. And they come into liberal Kansas, and they bomb our schools, tore down our church, and abducted many of your children. I don't know about you, but I would wonder, God, are you really in control right now? And that's where the people of God were. Look at uh, Psalm 7410. Here's the cry of the people. Uh, we read this or saw this a couple weeks ago. They were asking God these questions. Oh God, how long shall the adversary reproach? Shall the enemy blaspheme thy name forever? Look at the next verse in Psalm 7910. He says this. Wherefore should the heathen say, where is their God? Let him be known among the heathen in our sight be the revenging of the blood of thy servants which is shed. Here's the problem, church. Not only did they doubt God's control, but the problem was when a nation defeated another nation, it was a sign that their God was superior to that nation's God. And so here are the people of God. Not only are they doubting God's control in their own life because their life just got turned totally upside down, but they're looking at God in the heavens and saying, God, don't you understand that they think their God is better? And maybe, I just wonder if after a couple years of that, Pastor Tyler, they maybe started to wonder, maybe their God is a little bit better. I mean, what has our God done for us? And here's what Psalm 82 is. Asaph is going to write the answer to the people's question. They ask God why. And we listened uh, to Pastor Tyler talk about it last week or the week before the answer to that. Why are we experiencing this? Well, because you didn't listen to me. That's what God says. That's why you experienced it. But then the second question is, God, how long? God, when are you going to deal with this? God, when are you going to step into this situation and do something about the distress that we face? And here's what Asaph is going to do in Psalm 82. He's not even going to talk directly about their problems at all. You'll find no mention of destroyed temples. You'll find no mention of abducted children. Because here's what Asaph does. He pulls their perspective really far back. In fact, he takes them away from their chaos and gives them a heavenly perspective. And he starts off the psalm by giving them a glimpse of God's heavenly authority. Look at verse number one. 
Now, I want you to imagine as we read this, the picture on earth was God is not in control. God has no say in what's going on. God does nothing. God sits on his hands or he's weak. But here's what Asaph says about God in verse number one. He says, God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. Now that word stand to us seems very normal. It's like he's standing up. But the idea, idea there, idea, I've been in liberal Kansas a little too long. <laughs> the idea is that God is presiding like a judge presides over a trial. He, he says, God is presiding over the congregation of the mighty, and he says, he judgeth among the gods. Now, I'm going to stop here and get just a little technical before we move on. The weird thing about this psalm is God is talking to gods. Now, in my growing up in a Baptist church my whole life view, I thought those gods weren't real, Right? So why is he saying that? Is, does God talk to gods? Are these gods real? And, and here's the idea. Uh, there's kind of two different ways that, that people might interpret this verse. Is God talking about the false gods of the nations that defeated them? Or is God talking in, in kind of a poetic way about the rulers of the nation of Babylon who thought they were gods? Now my take on it is that it's a, it's a poem. So he's, he's speaking um, figuratively. It's not a literal lesson on theology here. But the idea is Asaph is speaking a poetic way that while the people may have doubted that their God was superior to the gods of the nations, he's going to give them kind of a word picture and show that their God is superior to the other gods. He's not giving credit to those gods. He's not saying those gods are real. But he's going to paint this picture that their God is in charge of all the gods. Okay, so we look at verse number one, and he's saying this, that God presides over the congregation of the mighty. The idea there, uh, you may not see it right off the bat, but the same word that is used for the word mighty is the same word that has translated God. So it's another idea. Here God is in heaven, um, far removed from earth, and there's this assembly of gods. Asaph is painting this picture. There's this assembly of gods. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever been in a courtroom or if you've been in, a, in some sort of, like, high-up meeting. Everyone's chit-chatting around. And then the, the really important guy walks in, you know. And as soon as he walks in to preside over the meeting, everyone shuts their mouth. That's kind of what Asaph is saying. He's saying, when our God, when Jehovah God is amongst the other gods of the nation, he's painting this picture, figuratively speaking. He's saying this, when God walks into the room with the gods of the other nations, the other gods shut up. God presides over the congregation of the mighty. And it says he judgeth among the gods. What is he saying there? He's saying God has authority that other gods don't have. That God is superior in his authority. So what is Asaph saying there? Why on earth should we care what he's saying? Here's what I think is the idea in this verse. He's saying this, that while the picture on earth, if you look around at earth, you're gonna see chaos, you're gonna see things out of control, you're gonna wonder where your God is because your God, Jehovah God, hasn't really stepped in to do anything. But he says, let me pull you up into heaven. Because while the earth looks chaotic, if you go up into heaven and you see our God there, things are not out of control. Earth may seem like it's chaotic. But here's the point. I want you to write this down or get it in your mind. It'll be on the screen. That God has heavenly control 
even when there's earthly chaos. God has heavenly control, even when there's earthly chaos. We talked about this earlier, didn't we? That we have a tendency to evaluate God's control based on the chaos we experience in our lives. And here's the problem. When life isn't fair, we doubt God's control. When evil prevails, we doubt God's control. When things aren't going our way, we wonder if God is asleep. And the problem is, is that the faith we have in God's control is often determined by the level of chaos we experience. Less chaos, more faith in God's control. But can I just warn you, church, just speaking to your heart for a second, you put yourself in a dangerous place when your faith is determined based on how good your circumstances are. If the only time you could say God is good is when things go your way, you have a messed up picture of your God. If the only time you feel like God is in control is when things are going down the path that you wish they would go down, my friend, you have a totally messed up view of God. And you are setting yourself up to be disappointed because life will not go your way. It didn't go the way for the people of the God people of God in Psalm 82, it probably ain't going to go your way all the time. And could I just challenge you tonight, just as Asaph was writing this to remind God's people, can we pull our heads out of the chaos and above the clouds and understand and have faith tonight that when there's chaos on our earth, we can look up into the heavens and know that while God may seem silent, God may not be stepping in right away as soon as we want. Our God is in control. He presides over all evil forces that are at work. Don't you think for one second that God doesn't see what's going on? Don't you think for one second that God is not in control just because you experience chaos in your life? No, my friend, here's what Asaph is saying. If you would just see where God is at in heaven, you wouldn't doubt for one second that your God is all-powerful. He's firmly in control And there is no evil force in this earth that moves without his allowance. Our God is in control. Even when there's chaos on this earth. Can I remind you, even when it seems like you've lost, our God is not defeated. God's authority has not changed. God's power has not changed. God's oversight of good good and evil has not changed. You may not see it, but that doesn't mean it's not true. Oh, no. But while we may believe God has heavenly power, here's the problem. Our next natural question is this. God, if you have all of this power, could you please clue me in on what you're doing right now? Have you ever wondered that? Like, God, I know you're in control. But what are you doing with all this control that you so possess? Because right now it seems like you're not doing anything with the heavenly control that I was taught in Sunday school you have. And that's what verses 2 through 7 are going to explain. That that God is not just absent-minded. God is not just like blind to what's going on in your world. God is very aware of what's going on on earth. And God was not ignorant of the situation of the Israels, Israelites. He wasn't ignorant of it. He was very aware of it. Look at verse number two. He's going to speak verse number two 
to the gods. This is the picture that Asaph is giving us. So he's like making an accusation. He says this. What are the first two words, church? How long? Does that question sound familiar? That was the same question the people of Israel were asking, wasn't it? How long? Can can I remind you this? That sometimes that God feels your pain. God senses the questions that are in your heart. We see this in the book of Exodus, don't we? When God's people were enslaved, that God heard their cries. And the people were asking, God, how long? When are you going to do something about this? And what do we find God saying in verse number two to the gods? He says, how long will you deal unjustly? How long will you accept the persons of the wicked? He makes an accusation to the gods. Hey, when are you going to cut this out? And then in verses three and four, here's what God is going to do. This is going to sound a little weird. But he's going to lay out his standards to the gods. And what we're going to find is that the evil forces at work in our earth, the principalities and powers and rulers of darkness in this world, are not going to line up with God's standards. Look at verse number three. He says this, here are my standards. Defend the poor and the fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and the needy. Deliver the poor and the needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. Here's the main ideas. Would you stop taking advantage of people who are poor and fatherless and needy? I mean, that was, that's what was happening to the nation of Israel. Their nation was in complete poverty. And yet here was this oppressive nation just crushing them. Their people were enslaved and carried away to a far land and used up however this foreign nation wanted to use them. And the cry of the people is, God, we're poor, we're needy, we've done nothing to these people, and they oppress us and take advantage of us and hurt us and kill us. And God says, that's not okay. And then God gives his verdict in verse number five. Surprise, surprise, the evil forces at work with Satan and other forces that lead behind him, they don't really line up to God's standards. He says this, They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. And all the foundations of the earth are out of course. Here's what God is saying. That the evil forces at work in the world, they have no wisdom and they have no morals. They have no wisdom and they have no morals. Our God is a God of wisdom, but the the rulers of darkness of this world, they have no wisdom. Our God is a God of holiness, but the rulers of darkness and principalities and powers at work in this world, they are immoral. They walk on in darkness. That's what God is saying. They do not line up to my standards. They are not in line with my authority and with my power. And then God says, all the foundations of the earth, look at verse number five, all the foundations of the earth are out of course. Here's what he's saying. They have caused chaos on the earth. These evil forces, these these little G gods who have no wisdom and no morals, they've caused chaos. And then God gives a sentencing in verse number six and seven. Look at verse six and seven. He's pronounced his verdict. They're guilty, 
But then he pronounces a sentence in verse number six. He says this, I have said ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High, but, verse seven, but ye shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. Here's what he's saying. You think you're gods, but you're not gods at all. You're just like a common man. And when the day comes when I will exercise my power and my judgment, you will die like a common man. And you'll fall like one of the princes. You know what Asaph is saying in verses 2 through 7? Here's what he's saying. He's saying God promises justice even when injustice seems to prevail. Isn't it hard sometimes, church, when we look around us, and you could look in almost every realm in our world and just see injustice and evil and wickedness prevailing? It's like there's no consequences. There's no consequences in a lot of workplaces when people are unjust, huh? Would you agree with that? Seems like the people who are unjust, who are evil, who manipulate, they just seem to get away with it. Politicians, unjust, evil, manipulative, they just seem to get away with it. World rulers and dictators who are unjust and evil and suppressive of their people, they just seem to get away with it, don't they? But here's what God is saying. I've taken inventory of the injustice that is going on. And don't mistake yourself, church. It is not men that are causing evil on this earth. There are powers at play led by Satan that are behind all of the evil that you see. Paul said it this way, that our enemy is not flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. The the enemy is not the flesh and blood you see. It is Satan who is the enemy. It is his evil forces at work that is the enemy. And here's what God is saying. They may be unjust. They may be evil. They may be causing chaos on the earth. But don't you think I've turned a blind eye? I've taken inventory of every single moment they've crossed the line. I've taken inventory of every single thing they've done that has crossed me and has angered me. And I have rendered the verdict. They are guilty. And judgment day will come. And they will die the death of a common man. The judgment that Satan will face is the same judgment that men will face who are wicked. I said the judgment that Satan will face is the same as common men. Can I remind you of what Revelation 20 verse 10 says? He's... It says this, and the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. What's that verse saying? It's saying the, the, the lake of fire, the same place where evil men will be judged who have not received Christ. It is the same destination that Satan and the little G gods, the forces at work, that is their destination. And God says, I will bring justice. Oh, don't you think I will not render justice? The time will come while I will render it. I've already seen what they do. I've rendered the verdict. I've pronounced them guilty and I've sentenced them to death. And the day will come, John wrote about in Revelation 20, that they will be thrown into the lake of fire and evil will be conquered. My friend, here's what John was saying in Revelation 20. He says this, injustice is on death row. 
When injustice seems to prevail, when people seem to get away with evil, can I just remind you that evil and injustice are on death row? God has pronounced their verdict. God has pronounced their judgment. And you may be crying out like Asaph, God, would you judge the earth? Would you send your judgment? And it may take a little longer than you wish, but God has promised justice. He's promised it. He's not blind to what's going on. No, God is carefully evaluating and judging the injustice that is going on in our earth. And God will take, he will take his opportunity when the day comes to end it and to bring justice to heaven and earth. God will end the injustice of human rights violators. God will judge the unfairness and injustice that you see in the workplace. God will judge the injustice of swindling. God will judge the injustice of slavery. Did you know slavery is still a thing around the world? Very much so. And God's not cool with people violating other people's rights. He's not cool with that. And there will be a day when God judges it. And he puts an end to it. Here's what we can rest in as God's people tonight. God promises justice. Even when it seems like injustice prevails. He's rendered the verdict. And injustice is on death's row. Now here's the bummer about Psalm 82. We can get raw, raw, raw about God's justice and his heavenly control. But verses 1 through 7, nothing has changed on earth. Nothing. Their temple is still in shambles. Their children are still in captivity to a foreign nation. Their people are still dead and have been murdered. Nothing has changed. And depending on the date, they still got a little while until things changed. But verse 8 is the psalmist's response. Because even though nothing has changed on earth, that's almost the point to Asaph. That's the point he's getting across to his people. That while it seems like nothing has changed on earth, God is still very much in control. And so Asaph ends the psalm by crying out to God in verse number 8. Look at verse number 8. He says, Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. He says, he is a response to the truth of God's sovereignty. He says, God, I know you have heavenly control. God, I, I know you are in control even when I see chaos. God, I know you've promised justice even though injustice seems to prevail. And here's what the psalmist said. He said, arise, O God. God, would your justice come quickly? Would you allow your heavenly control to manifest itself on earth? Would you let your heavenly power one day result in some earthly order? God, I know you're in control. I know you have power. But God, I'm praying and I'm asking that soon, quickly, Soon and very soon, God, you would just rid the earth of all the evil that we see around us. 
And here's what Asaph is, is saying. It, it's, not just, it's not just a prayer, but I want you to notice the heart of faith that's behind that kind of a statement. Because I think that's more important, honestly, in some ways, than the prayer itself. Is here's what I think God preserved this psalm for. He wants us to get this, that we can trust. We can trust this, that God's heavenly control will one day result in earthly order. Asaph wants to lead his people to understand that even when earth just seems totally out of whack, that they would bring their head above the clouds and see that our God reigns. He standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. He has announced his verdict. Injustice is on death's row. And we believe that God has control right now, this moment in heaven. We believe God has all power. We believe that God is supreme in the heavens. But here's what Asaph is saying. You need to believe this, that God's heavenly control will one day produce earthly order. That God's heavenly control is not just a fact we look at like, oh, you know, that's pretty nice. But it's something that undergirds our prayers. And that we have every right to say, God, I believe you will judge this. But God, my prayer is just that you'll do it a little bit sooner. You know, that's a biblical prayer. I see a lot of similarities between Psalm 82 and the book of Revelation because the book of Revelation is almost the same message. God's people were persecuted, seven churches, and the vast majority of them were broke, persecuted. Some of them had their pastors executed. Wasn't really a bright and shining moment in church history. And God gave them the book of Revelation to remind them that they are not on the losing side, they're on the winning side. That Jesus Christ will come back and he will judge the living and the dead. He will restore order on this earth. And Revelation is this big, elaborate, beautiful picture of how God will restore order. And here's how John ends the book. He says, he which testified these things saith, surely I come quickly. That's God's words. But here's what John said. Even so come, Lord Jesus. And I think sometimes that we, we underestimate how worshipful it is when just the cry of our heart is, Jesus, would you come? God, I know you have heavenly control. But God, my prayer is that you would come and let that heavenly control manifest itself in restoring order and peace to this earth because you're the only one who can do it. You say, well, when is God going to step into my situation and change the things I'm experiencing? Can I, can I just be real honest with you? I can't promise you at all God will change anything you're experiencing. Am I right, church? I can't promise you that at all. You say, well, life isn't really great right now. Well, I understand. I, I sympathize with that, and I hurt with people who are feeling that right now. I hurt with you. But here's what I can promise you is that just because the end of your life will not see God correct that injustice or that evil or that wrong, that doesn't mean God will not correct it. Oh no, my friend, all evil will be judged. And God will restore order. And the trials and the burdens and the injustices and the chaos we experience on this earth will be just a blip in time. 
when God restores order. And we get to dwell with him for all eternity. And so maybe your prayer tonight is, God, I see the pain, I see the evil at work around me. I see the chaos in my life. And God, everything in me wants you to step down and change it. And you know what? It's okay for, to pray that God would do that. John prayed that. Asaph prayed that. He said, God, would you judge the earth? The nations are your inheritance after all. It's not just us who are your people. All the people are your people. Would you do something about this? And maybe your response to God's word tonight is just coming down to an altar and just praying, Lord Jesus, would you come? Would you restore peace on, that or on this earth? How many of us want that tonight? God, would you come and intervene and restore order and bring peace and joy in a way that only you can? But even if God doesn't do that, you can wade through the trials of life knowing that your God is not one ounce less powerful. Oh no, my friend, he is fully in control. And if God is in control in the chaos, here's what I believe that means. That I'm, I believe that means he'll see you through it. I believe that means that God, if God is perfectly in control, everything may around you be, may be chaotic, but you have a, a direct tie to God who's just going to pull you through that storm. And he's going to bring you through it. And, and here's the challenge. Here's what I think Asaph wanted us to understand. That our faith in God would not be based in our circumstances. I get so sick of when people make God out to be this genie in a bottle. You know, or one of those things, the magic eight balls, you know. I need a raise. I need a spouse. Hey, listen, my friend, put the magic eight ball away. God is in control no matter what life gives you. And I think Asaph wanted to speak to his people and say, you need to have a bigger picture of your God. And your God is superior over all forces that are at work in this earth. And that means you can trust him. Hey, you can trust him. Listen to this, listen to this. You can trust him. If God has chosen to give you chaos, God's not just going to leave you hanging. You can trust him and cling to him. Because God has not forgotten what you're going through. You say, how long, O oh Lord? Sometimes God's asking the same question. But in his all-wise all mind, he says, I'm just going to let this ride out a little bit. But the day will come. God will restore order and peace. Let's pray tonight. Here, here's our response as the instrumentalists come. <clears throat> here's our response. I think it's fully appropriate and biblical that, that maybe your response tonight would, to be, would be to pray for God's judgment and control to come swiftly. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. But, but here's, here's what I want to challenge you. Please don't let that be your only prayer. Because sometimes we pray that and it's like, I'm really hoping you actually come through on this thing, you know? But here's what I think Asaph really wanted his people to get, to just surrender to God. God is in control. And I think sometimes we get really 
mad about the chaos in our life because we think we're in control. God, this is not how I pictured it. God, this is not how I imagined my life working out. And here's what I think Asaph wants us to do. God, you're in control, I trust you. I don't like what you're doing. I don't like the pain I'm experiencing. I don't like the chaos around me, but God, I trust your ultimate plan. I know you're not asleep, God. And here's how we can respond to rest your faith in who God is now. Pay attention to this, rest your faith in who God is now so you can trust him later. Hey, maybe you're not in the midst of chaos, but here's what I wanna challenge you to do if you're not in the midst of chaos. Make a pre-decision that even when you hit chaos, you'll trust that God is in control. Let's stand and pray. Father, 